The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility and love of Christ, here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio listenership across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, service, and ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. As is our custom in this season, we particularly welcome our radio and Internet listeners to join with the resident congregation in the strong stewardship support of Marsh Chapel to give and give generously to build the endowment of the deanship here, to support music and ministry here, and to guide and care for pastoral work, programmatic life, and worship here. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy, that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, ever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are salt and light. In order that salt might not lose its savor, and light might not lose its brilliance. May we pause to confess, to lay aside, to let go those burdens, those mistakes, those sins of the days gone by, ready to receive with gratitude the pardon, grace, and love of God. As the choir guides us, may we offer our Kyrie eleison. we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, 
since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as those or those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only if called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son. Today have begotten you. As he says in another phrase, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 104 with the Antiphon.
Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Wrapped in light as with a garment, you stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they flee. At the sound of your thunder they take to flight. They rose up to the mountains ran down to the valleys to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Praise the Lord. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, 
You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated. The present moment. Lift up your hearts in the present moment to hear the good news within this present moment. A word of faith in a pastoral voice toward a common hope. Hope has two handsome sons, presence and pressure. Both meet you in the present moment. The presence of love, the pressure to love, 
the presence of good, the pressure toward good. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. The present moment, the presence of good, the pressure toward good. Here, good news, just as the present moment, for all its dangers and diminutions, reveals presence, the presence of love, as we affirmed last week, so too the present moment, for all its tweets and humiliations, reveals the pressure of good, the pressure toward good, as we affirm this Lord's Day. Hope's second handsome son is pressure. After worship here at Marsh Chapel last Sunday, you may have noticed that our student mission team set up a table on the plaza. They are called MOVE, this team, the acronym of whose actual words I can never remember, but it doesn't matter. These, our beloved students, are on the move, and that is the point, is it not? They went out to Commonwealth Avenue armed only with a table, a box of pamphlets, their camaraderie, and also one guesses for that present moment. Perhaps one other thing. The wind of pressure blowing through their lives like leaves in the breeze, to paraphrase Rowan Williams, towards some good, towards some goodness. They spent part of the day passing out information on how to register to vote. They were moved to pressure, to press on, to impress, to press on toward the high prize, to do something good. Who knows whence that sort of impetus emerges, but it does. In the present, in the present moment, and of a, sudden, of a sudden you are greeted by hope's second handsome son, pressure. Notice in our gospel how the rich young ruler presses. He presses the point. He is not satisfied with a generic response in this case, an odd listing and partial assortment of the commandments. Jesus has answered, giving the points of the law, though notice only some and notice in odd order. But in the question and again in the answer, there is a pressure. There is a pressure. Is this why the church's memory of the conversation includes the phrase, and Jesus loved him? The good presses the rich young ruler to question. The good presses the Lord Christ in his risen voice, remembered and interpreted in the life of the earliest church, to answer one thing you lack. There is in this present moment, in every present moment, the pressure to goodness, to act in goodness. We come to church for such a reminder, especially in a national season of the shredding of ceremonies of courtesy in a national season of the apotheosis of incivility, in a national season where there is a willingness on the part of many to support or countenance the denigration of civil society and the abuse of inherited forms of culture meant to protect us from our basest selves. Look for a moment again at our gospel reading Barbara Brown Taylor said once, if memory serves, that the church usually misses the point of this teaching 
either by understanding the passage exclusively in terms of money or by avoiding altogether any discussion of money. She said further that money is like nuclear power, potent with power for good, but requiring careful management, protections against disasters, recognition of what can go wrong, and a humility in practice. In the city of Rome, under the thumb of Caesar, Mark in 70 AD rehearses Jesus' lakeside lessons. Gathered in secrecy, hearing news of a Jerusalem temple in flames, rightly fearing impending persecutions, Mark's Roman Christians heard hope in these teachings so frequently as today related to wealth. If you notice only one word in this passage, Mark Mark's inclusion of persecutions, verse 30. For there is an urgency to Mark's passage that Matthew and Luke later left behind. Mark exudes raw energy under the pressure of apocalyptic expectation. Sell and give. Notice the telltale apocalyptic marks. Eternal life, the coming of the resurrection of the dead, this age and the age to come, the heart of Jewish longing, camel and needle, end of an age hyperbole, none is good but God, the apocalyptic distance of heaven and earth, the reign of God, the essential apocalyptic hope, persecutions, harbingers of the end, last become first, apocalyptic judgment. But there is no mistaking the primary announcement. Life is found in the refreshing lake water of giving, not on the dry shoreline of having. Life is found in the refreshing lake water of giving, not on the dry shoreline of having. Yes, you must honor the past, including the commandments. Yes, we must conserve and protect. But as Luke Timothy Johnson used to say, The traditions of the church are meant to open the future. Conserve what you can. Protect what you must. Then give, develop, give, enhance, give, open the reign of God. This is what life is all about. And be shrewd about it. Toward the end of one remarkable election in California, a leader in Los Angeles humorously and memorably implored his people to look to the future. Think of your future, he said. Look to the next generation, he said. See what is out ahead, he said. And if you vote for candidate X, he said, it would be like a chicken voting for Colonel Sanders, he said. He could speak the language of apocalyptic. And Mark is clearly an apocalyptic writing, although clarity about this has only fully emerged in the last generation or so. Mark expects the end of all things in his own time, 70 AD. And so the Mark and Jesus so instructs his followers, remembering 30 AD. In fact, Mark expects the culmination of all things soon and very soon. In this regard and in regard to his understanding of the cross, Mark has some congruence with the letters of Paul. Given this apocalyptic perspective, 
Should we hear Mark's words as those of a critic or those of a coach? The first option, Mark the moderate critic, was most piercingly presented almost 40 years ago by a friend of Marsh Chapel, Dr. Theodore Whedon. It has taken some decades for the force and power of Whedon's argument to stand up and stand out in comparison to the work of others. On this view, Mark combats a view of Jesus that will not accept his suffering, his crucifixion. Long after the events of Calvary and Golgotha, spirited and strong people singing a happy song have caused the early church to forget their baptism and its meaning. They expect ease, spirit, joy, and soon a conquering victory over all that plagues and persecutes them. To this, Mark says, no. To say no, Mark remembers in delicate detail the story of Jesus' passion, relying on a source, a document he has inherited. To say no, Mark pointedly shows the ignorance and cowardice of Peter at Caesarea Philippi and in Jerusalem. To say no, Mark criticizes, diminishes the miracles of Jesus, letting them wind away to nothing as the gospel progresses. To say no, Mark describes the disciples as diabolical dunces. They didn't understand it, and neither do you, he says. Mark stays within the fold of the inherited story of Jesus, the gospel of teaching and passion of Galilee and Jerusalem, north and south. But he does so as a moderate critic of those who are unrealistic about the suffering that continues from which the gospel does not deliver any more than Jesus had been delivered from the cross. Resurrected, yes. Delivered, no. On this view, at the heart of Mark, there is a bitter dispute in earliest Christianity, imagine that, about what constitutes discipleship and baptism, and Mark is out to prove his opponents wrong. As with the alternative, there is plenty of evidence to support this view. The alternative, the second option, Mark the critical moderate, has in a way been present for a longer time and one could say is still the more dominant, the majoritarian position in scholarly interpretation of Mark. The current culminating presentation of this view is in a two-volume anchor Bible commentary. It is written by another person with connections to Marsh Chapel, a fellow once on the faculty of Boston University School of Theology, Joel Marcus, now at Duke. On this view, things in Mark's community are not so much at daggers drawn. There are differences, to be sure, but the disagreements are differences among friends. The Markan coaching does not face strong spirit people committed to an idea of the divine man. Mark is not so negative about miracles. The disciples are mistaken, but not malevolent. The titles for Jesus are not so tellingly convincing. The real trouble is not so much in the community itself, perish the thought, but outside, among the potential deceivers of the church. Hence, on this view, Mark has the job of gently reminding his hearers of the cross, of suffering, of discipline, of the cruciform character of Christianity as a moderate, a critical moderate, but a moderate more than a critic. In the present moment, 
this present moment. The pressure toward the good can come in a voice on the one hand critical or in a voice on the other hand coaching. You might think about how you use your voice now and then in one form or another. Children need both. Parents need both. And while the jury is out still about Mark, whether more critic or coach, there is no doubt about his apocalyptic urgency, and there is no doubt about the pressure it applies. In the present moment, the pressure to do good, toward the good, to be good, the pressure toward goodness. Earlier this month, the paper of record in this country carried two articles, one on a Thursday, one on the next Saturday. Both were written by friends of yours, Marsh Chapel. Both exhibited this pressure toward the good, Marsh Chapel. Both were written in part to critique and in part to coach. Both voices are known to you. Andrew Basevich, until recently a professor at Boston University, has been among you. You know his voice. He has been here to teach in our small groups, to provide chapel fora for us, to speak in trenchant terms, terms full of the pressure toward the good, week by month, by year, by decade. This month he wrote in the New York Times about Black Hawk Down, 25 years later, in his ongoing quest to challenge, to critique our national reliance on large-scale military might. We might have learned something back then, he says. He presses us, quote, the contemporary battlefield is more likely to be urban and congested. Investment in conventional warfare will continue to have little relevance. Policy should consider that the wars themselves might be futile. And then the clincher. With a bit more effort and a generous dose of humility, we might have learned these lessons 25 years ago. Here is a close, critical voice, part of the proven pressure toward good, latent in every one present moment. You know this voice. Robert Pinsky, former U.S. Poet Laureate and a professor at Boston University, wrote two days later in the same space. You remember him, Marsh Chapel. Pinsky came and helped us honor and respect those who died on 9-11, ten years later. He brought himself, he brought his poetry, he brought his voice right here onto our plaza in our 2011 service of remembrance. You know his voice. This month he wrote in the New York Times about patriotism. He presses us. He is writing for students, including those within earshot this morning, saying, Sometimes you read something when you are young and it stays with you forever. He then remembers a citation of George Washington in 1783 in which Washington described the good fortune of the new nation, its natural resources, political independence and freedom in the age of reason of the country's birth and an age of the free, culti the free cultivation of letters the unbounded extension of commerce, the progressive refinement of manners, the growing liberality of sentiment, 
and above all the pure and benign light of revelation. And then, in some emotion, and with the great skill of a great poet, Pinsky simply remembers the story of Peter Rodino, a humble congressman from his native New Jersey, pressed into duty, we might say, under the pressure toward the good in the Watergate hearings. Here is a close, coaching voice, part of the proven pressure toward good, latent in every one present moment. You know these voices. You are not alone in the hunger and thirst for the good. Voices both critical and coaching are among you to help, to guide, to heal. Listen for them. Listen to them. And learn from them. And learn to find your own voice, both critic and coach. On Monday evening this past week, you may have walked past the cafeteria at 100 Bay State Road. There you would have seen a lone woman sitting in a chair, her hair gray, her presence little noticed, her age probably making her eligible for Medicare, armed only with a table, a box of voter registration pamphlets, and also one guesses for that present moment. Perhaps one other thing, the wind of pressure blowing through her life like leaves on the breeze, to paraphrase Rowan Williams, towards some good, towards some goodness. She, sent, she spent part of that evening passing out information on how to register to vote. Maybe a couple of generations ago, she was a member of a student group like ours, like MOVE. Or maybe she is a foretaste of what our students will be and do a couple of generations from now when their hair is gray and they are eligible for Medicare. Good for you, we said to her. I'm trying, she replied. And you? May I ask you a question to conclude this sermon? Will you, before you leave this sanctuary, consider one thing you might do toward the good in the next week, something you have not yet to this moment designed? Will you, before you leave this sanctuary, consider one thing you might do toward the good in the next week, something you have not yet to this moment designed? In the present moment. Lift up your hearts in the present moment to hear the good news within the present moment. A word of faith in a pastoral voice toward a common hope. Hope has two handsome sons, presence and pressure. Both meet you in this present moment. The presence of love, the pressure to love, the presence of good, the pressure toward good. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who, like thyself, my guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me.
We now come to a time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Creator of the universe, may we see the eternal that is present in the moments that pass us by, and resultantly, may we see the weight of importance in our present moments. We pray that we never forget that the future is yet to occur, and our satisfaction is found here, right now, in the momentary fleeting space where we be and are. May we, through the eternal ground of our being, see the power that springs forth from the embrace of the presence. Just as the conscious anxiety of the future was transcended on the cross, where the power of a courageous life in the midst of death was displayed, may we, through the new being Christ, see that life is more than our sense of control, our material wealth, and our ability to create, produce, and slightly work against the inevitable entropy around us. For in the moment Christ took on the anxieties found in the loss of control, wealth, and creative capacity, he eclipsed them. May we, through the spirit of courage, of this courage, resist the desires to live in the future and the past, and instead exist in the life found in the momentary present. We pray that we would not mistakenly confuse our material means for the ends of our human stories and communities that we meaningfully, meaningfully live into, and that we would not mistakenly separate our productive human and environmental means from the ends of profit and excess. Help us as members of our communities to see the importance of ethical conservation practices and environmental regulations, for the resources that spring up from nature spring up from holy ground. And help us as members of our communities to see the importance of the ethical treatment of those who work in the various industries that make up our global economies, never forgetting that the new being of Christ is present in them. In the present moment, we pray that we'd be the divine hospitality and love of the new being Christ to those we meet and that we'd see Christ in them. Help us to love, to serve, and to forgive. And it is in the one who calls us in the presence, Christ's name, that we pray. Amen. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel on this Head of the Charles Sunday. Congratulations to Dean Hill on his successfully completing his annual competitive preaching experience as he goes head to head with the gentleman calling the Head of the Charles Regatta behind us. We note that uh, invite children in the chapel congregation to join Mahalia in the narthex uh, to head out during the singing of the last hymn for children's education following the service today. Next Sunday here at Marsh Chapel, we look forward to welcoming new members of the Marsh Chapel chapter. Uh, If you would like to uh, become a member of the chapel chapter next Sunday, please contact Heidi Freimanis Courts in the chapel office sometime this coming week. Also next Sunday, following the service, you can join Heidi in the chapel office downstairs and members of the March Organization for Volunteer Engagement to learn more about Trick or Treat for UNICEF and to collect your uh, Trick or Treat for UNICEF box to participate in that Halloween activity uh, next week. You may be interested to know that Marsh Chapel, in, in helping facilitate your daily devotional practice, provides a daily meditation right to your inbox every day if you so choose to subscribe. If you do choose to subscribe, please do so on the chapel website at bu.edu chapel on the Community Life tab. There's a op- uh, daily meditation page, and you can sign up uh, to receive that offering there. Next Saturday evening at 7.30 p.m., The Marsh Chapel Choir will be holding their fall concert. They'll be singing Mozart's Mass in C minor. Uh, The Collegium will be playing Haydn's Symphony 82, and then the choir will join again for Haydn's Te Deum. We look forward to seeing you here again that Saturday Saturday at 7.30 p.m. here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, and we, we invite you to meditate on Carson Kuhnman's setting of verses from Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Almighty God, creator of the world, who grants us the ability to breathe and to love, we ask you to grant peace upon this congregation, this country, and this world. Show us how to love our neighbor and open our arms and our ears to diverging opinions so that we may build bridges and work together. Through your name we pray. all the good you can at all the times you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can, do all the good you can. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, be and abide with each one of us now and forever. <laughs> 